For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Are you ready for the next level of leadership? It's going to be here before you know it. Today's leaders need the skills, connections, and savvy to become top professionals in their fields. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf. In the next hour, you'll meet people who have become successful at the helm of some of the most respected organizations in the world, and you can become the next big success story. Now, here's your host, Maureen Metcalf. Hi, this is Maureen. Welcome to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. Today, our show will take a slightly different twist. Carla Morelli, a longtime friend and colleague, will interview me about innovative leadership. So in the past, our show has focused on other leaders and bringing in thought leadership, uh, executive perspectives and tools, and we really haven't talked about the hardcore construct of innovative leadership, which is the, the work that I've focused on over the last decade. So Carla is a friend, a co-author, uh, and a colleague. We wrote The Art of Leading Change together, uh, published a paper, and we've also worked extensively with clients. Uh, the last one was transforming an organization that was technology firm that was splitting in half. And uh, also, Carla has extensive experience with mergers and acquisitions. Uh, she's a student of leadership maturity and innovative leadership for probably over a decade. So today she and I will discuss innovative leadership. She'll ask me a series of questions and we'll just talk about our shared experiences. So the foundation of this show is helping leaders innovate how they lead in a time of dramatic change. And we've used this statistic before. Ray Kurzweil talks about the volume of change we're likely to face in the next 100 years, and I realize that's well beyond most of our working lives, but that technology will increase by 20,000 times what it did over the last century. So if we think about the amount of change that that will drive in each of our lives and our professional lives, the question becomes for leaders, how do I update my leadership algorithm to ensure that I'm able to navigate the level of change and complexity and to extend the technology metaphor that as leaders, we often focus on updating the work we're doing and not updating who we are as leaders and how we lead our organizations. And because of that, we as leaders actually depreciate in our leadership skills. So my goal as the host of this show is to help people think about how am I innovating how I lead just like I'm innovating my products and services. So today we'll really talk about, as leaders, what does this innovative leadership framework look like and how can we make it helpful for you as our listeners to become more effective. So let's now go to Carla. Hi. 
Um, so I should say that I've been happily involved here for years because this framework is so interesting. It, it applies to everything, and I don't usually say things like that. Um, it's been the basis for me for an inordinate amount of my own personal and professional work, and it never disappoints. It's astounding in that way. Um, my background is pretty broad. I've worked in a variety of industries, government, technology, healthcare, finance, um, and I've been a consultant, a business owner, an employee, and I've held probably all the roles. My favorites have been helping growing companies scale intelligently, which is where a lot of this work really applies, um, as well as conversely leading uh, acquisitions and divestitures for larger companies where the complexity uh, makes this framework really apply. Um, so sort of complexity for me is, is sort of where I have the most fun. And um, I think as we'll hear over the next hour, um, the innovative leadership model really does speak to all aspects of it. So, uh, Maureen, if you don't mind, then I'm just going to start asking you questions, yeah? Yes. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, <laughs> well, so let's start sort of at the beginning here. How did you get started with innovative leadership as a construct, as a, as a, as a concept? So I had been working in the area of org transformation, starting in big consulting firms, Accenture and PricewaterhouseCoopers, and what I learned in those companies is foundational to leading really effective changes. And yet, having worked in organizations that did, um, the projects were managed incredibly well, we mapped processes, we implemented changes, and in some cases, the organization still didn't get the business value, not because the consulting was a problem, but that the consulting was mainly focused on the change we were trying to make and didn't always take into account the broader uh, leadership construct and also the culture. We were, as consultants, engaged to focus on systems. So I want to be clear that I'm not saying that we did a bad job in any in any way, we did what we were engaged to do, and yet by focusing mainly on the transformation, we weren't always focusing on the leadership, and what seemed to happen in some instances is either the projects were not delivered to completion because the leaders actually got in the way, or projects were delivered and leaders were exited. So one of my first consulting jobs after I went independent after I started my company was with a, a large firm. We were implementing an enterprise software system. I went into the president of the business unit and said I thought we had some concerns about the leadership in their ability to help transform his organization. Uh, he was not terribly receptive to that, kind of tell me who they are and I'll fix them, put them back on track. <laughs> Except he wasn't that polite. Um, <laughs> the project went forward. It was successful and in the process, he and all but one of the senior executives ended up exiting, some by choice and some not by choice. And what really struck me through that and reflecting back on my larger consulting firm experience was that by integrating the work of addressing culture and the work of addressing leadership and helping leaders innovate themselves, not just the go off and get it done and tell me when it's finished, the probability of successful transformation goes way up. And, and it's important for me to say I've worked with amazing people, very committed to success, and what we didn't do, I didn't do, was really help them think about not only transforming their organization, but in that, in the midst of, I am so busy I can barely make it through a day, adding to that, that we have to update our leadership, 
seems just daunting. These changes seem daunting as we're, as we're helping transform an enterprise. So to add to it, I have to do the personal work of transforming myself seems overwhelming. And yet those leaders that are doing that personal work in conjunction with org transformation well, so it sounds like, I mean, when you're talking about especially large-scale projects where, especially in cases where there is outside consulting brought in, sort of extra hands are brought in, mm-hmm. what you're saying is that block and tackle is not sufficient. Classic project management, as good as it can be, is, is not the whole answer. That's, yeah, thank you for doesn't buy you success. It's and you have both been both external and internal, so we've yep. been subjected to this and well-intentioned, really solid leaders still need to update what they're doing in response to the changes that are happening. Yes. So that's how I got started, was really asking the question, what's missing? And then spending a few years after starting my company doing the work I had done and additionally going off to study with the people I found that I thought had the, the answers that I was missing. And that took me to people like Belinda Gore understanding uh, personality types, uh, Suzanne Cook-Greuter, whose work has been in developmental psychology, who did her doctoral work at Harvard, Ken Wilber, whose work was integral theory, published 30-plus books. And my work was really working with them at least with Belinda and Suzanne, to integrate those frameworks into this broader innovative leadership construct that really looked at some very solid theories that were in existence but hadn't been put together in the way that we put them together. So Belinda and I worked really closely to sift through what is leader's personality type compared to developmental level. And why that really matters is we believe for the most part that personality type, the series of traits that define us, are pretty well cast either at birth or or early career. And yet by working through these developmental perspectives or leadership maturity is what we're now calling it, Suzanne's now calling it, I mature through my characteristics and demonstrate a much greater capacity. So the example I use is as an introvert, I, I do demonstrate those, those qualities. And the first time I did public speaking, I was terrified. My microphone wasn't turned on. And I was really secretly grateful when people got up and started to leave. <laughs> Not very effective in <laughs> building my career and knowing that I needed to master this skill. So as I matured, I expanded my capacity. I'm still an introvert, but my relationship with introversion is very different now. I look forward to speaking. I look forward to walking into an MBA class where when I first started, those were things that were hugely uncomfortable. And so part of this framework was really integrating different models, and I'm just giving little snippets of of how we might integrate them to help leaders understand who am I foundationally, what what is the stuff that will likely remain constant through my life, and then how do I mature or develop in a way that will allow me to expand my capacity to meet the, the challenges that are coming my way. 
Okay. So I want to take one second. I want to back up just a minute. I want, we'll talk through, I think, what the elements of innovative leadership are. But the, the one thing I think I want to start with is something that you touched on. Um, your work in particular is heavily evidence and theory-based. That's yes. not the norm in, in a lot of cases. I mean, the evidence that uh, I think firms or methodologies tend to collect is more um, anecdotal or from their client base. You are uh, heavily involved in, in research and the academic world as much as you are in the practical side. You just speak to that for one second, and then I want to move on to what the parts actually are. Thank you. I appreciate you pointing that out because I do think it's a differentiator and it's something that I hold very deeply because, again, working with people who are really well-intended and smart who point clients in a direction that, that is in some cases inaccurate. And so I realize that, one, the theory is evolving, especially as we look at neuroscience. So keeping current on which methodologies are actually most effective, and, and it has changed a great deal over time. So focusing on highly validated tools, so you'll hear me referencing Suzanne and other people who have done doctoral-level research, so highly validated data collection and demonstration, and my work has been to synthesize those and make them practical because most of my clients don't care about the research. They're not going to go read a doctoral dissertation. They don't need you. (laughs) They're running their businesses. It's my job to take all that stuff that I care about, the evidence-based stuff, and turn it into a very practical and easy to implement to the extent that this stuff is easy, easy to implement solutions for them all the way down in the leader development focus to having clear processes and tools and templates. Changing who I am is never easy, but having well-tested tools that are practical makes it doable in the context of a very busy leadership schedule. Okay. So let's talk for a minute then about the aspects of the different elements of innovative leadership. Right, my, my personal favorite is leadership maturity, so I want to spend some time there because I think really that is the key to a lot of stuff. Um, but go ahead and, and step us through your, 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 your model. Okay, so there are five elements. And again, my role has been to synthesize the good work of, of other brilliant people. So in no way do I take credit for this. And I'll throw out the names of... <laughs> Some of the people I've worked with, uh, for those who care, and also, for me, it's important to give credit to the people who have invested, in many cases, their life's work in this area. So the first is leader type. So personality type, most of us have taken a Myers-Briggs or an Enneagram or something like that, and that is the foundation. It's my innate qualities. The second is leadership maturity or developmental levels. And that's the work of Suzanne Kukreuter. And that's how do I mature over a period of time that looks at cognitive complexity, emotional intelligence or affect, and behavior. And we'll talk more about that as we go forward. So, so that's within my type, I can mature and I can take on other characteristics that at, at an earlier uh, stage I don't have access to. So bigger bandwidth in essence. Resilience, how am I able to stay flexible and focused during times of change? Situational analysis, how do I evaluate the environment? And this is where I look at who I am, 
what's the culture or the environment in which I'm operating and what are the systems and processes. So it helps me identify what are the appropriate behaviors for the situation, but it also gives me a framework to think about the what's missing when I'm making a change. So as a consultant, I'm implementing transformation and I need to consider culture and systems as well as my actions. And then the final is leadership behaviors and we've used the leadership circle profile as our assessment tool and also now working with another colleague, Mike Morrow Fox, who's looked at for people who know the term level five leadership has created a competency model that really integrates that series of behaviors, again, to help us as leaders identify what does it look like, and even more than behaviors, to look at the mindset of those leaders and how do we take on that mindset so that we behave differently and in a way that's more effective, but again, behavior coming after situational analysis. So irrespective of what I'm capable of doing or what I would prefer, I need to behave as a leader in the context of the organization. So if I'm working in an environment like a university that's more collaborative, I need to take on those behaviors, and collaboration happens to be one of them anyway. In another environment, I need to be aware that if collaboration is my preference, I still have to be able to adjust to an environment that is less collaborative. Okay. So, listen, I think we've got about one minute before the next break. Can you just very quickly just draw a comparison between traditional and innovative leadership? Tell people sort of what the differences are. Great. Thank you. So, so if I were to use TV shows as an example, I would say NCIS, Gibbs. So this is the type of traditional leadership that got us where we are. So in no way do I criticize that, but I would say that needs to evolve in a more complex time to the mind of the scientist. And I talk on the show all the time about doing experiments because at this point in time with the level of complexity that all of us are navigating, I don't have the luxury of studying something to its logical conclusion than implementing. I'm looking at multiple concurrent changes all of the time. And that mind of a scientist helps me... Try it out and refine. Yeah. 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 So I think it sounds like it's about time for break. Yeah, we've got... uh, Yeah, I think we're just about there. So when we come back, I want to actually talk about... dive into some of these different... um, dive into some of these different elements and then hear a little bit more about those. Perfect. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. 
Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf and Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to info at metcalf-associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So, Carly, you were saying that we would now go into developmental perspectives. So where do you want to focus? Right. So, I mean, I think of the five elements that you talked about, leader type, leadership maturity, resilience, situational analysis, and leadership behaviors, I think the one that really uh, most people can sort the others out, more or less, um, it's the leadership maturity, i.e. the developmental psychology, that I think really bears the bulk of the discussion. Um, so... Well, if we talk about sort of developmental levels, tell me about the dimensions that make that up. What, what does that mean? So what's interesting, and thank you, this is the part that's most fascinating to me because oh, it answered so many <laughs> questions about what was missing, and it's the thing you and I talk about all the time. Well, and it's the messy bit, to be perfectly honest, right? That's the cool part. Right. <laughs> it, it, to me it is. So it looks at cognitive complexity, not just IQ, but the ability to take multiple perspectives, it would be the difference between solving a math problem for one, for one variable or for 50. So it's as a leader that I'm able to consider the many competing factors and make adjustments on a regular basis. So I, I don't get to just worry about cost or timing. I'm worrying about customer experience, stockholders, what the board thinks, what employees who want raises, employee engagement, all of the factors required to run a successful enterprise. And so the, the ability to think complexly and take a, both a long-term and a short-term perspective. So I can't just think long-term and put us out of business short-term, but I also can't just think short-term. So it's balancing all of those variables, short, immediate-term, medium-term, long-term. So that's one element. Second is emotional intelligence or affect. 
being aware of, and this is not touchy-feely, this is hard work. So being aware <laughs> of my emotions and managing them, being aware of the impact I have on others and managing those relationships. So it's really attending to, on a day like today where I'm exhausted because of some family transitions, I don't get to be cranky and not talk to people, and I don't want my fatigue I'll hang to up on you. <laughs> be contagious because you've been helping with these family issues. So we both show up exhausted, and yet it's not okay to snap at people. It's not okay last night when I showed up to class to, to have any of that tired impact people around me. These are mine to manage, not others to fix when I misbehave because I'm tired. So no, and yours, I'm not, not meaning to interrupt, but yours to be aware of so that you can manage them appropriately. Yes. And, okay. and then the other side of that is as tired or as whatever as I might be, other people show up with their own issues. So I had a meeting earlier today with someone whose company is really struggling it's my job to be present so I can attend to whatever he has going on so that I, I can do the work that I do to help others navigate the complexity that they're facing. And so that emotional intelligence sounds easy, but for those of us who are have been working in intense business environments for a long time, we've kind of learned to put those emotions on hold. And what we don't realize is that not tending to them, not being aware of them, often has them spill out and impact people in ways that I don't intend. So I really, not only am I managing the work, I'm also managing my own insides so that then the third component, behavior, I can behave in a way that optimizes my organization consistently. And for us, we're optimizing our clients' organizations. So what we've learned through Suzanne's work and others is that as leaders specifically, we go through a series of developmental levels. I want to study for one second. Uh, The emotional uh, competence, it it sounds like what you said, and we haven't discussed this before, so I'm just listening and, and synthesizing on my own, is that what you need to do is not just be aware of yourself, but you and managing yourself, you also need to be aware of others and be able to account for them and work with that. So you're not asking, you don't show up expecting them to be aware and manage themselves. You have to flex around them as much as you manage yourself. You have to do both at the same time. Absolutely. So, so the example this morning, the, the colleague with whom I was meeting or the client with whom I was meeting, his organization has gone through some unexpected calls in their credit. So, so they're in a very complex time. This is one of their major investors, actually, a board member. And it doesn't matter what's going on in my life. It's really irrelevant. When I walk in that door, it's my job to have my emotions attended to and my needs, I meet them. It's not his job to do that. So it doesn't matter how bad my day is. When I walk through that door, I need to be able to read his emotional state, his mental state, his business state, and be present in all of those ways to help him think through his problem so that we can collectively solve or move toward a solution to what he's facing. And as and leaders... Not just, 
I'm sorry, go ahead. As leaders, that's my job, not just as a consultant, but as a that's leader. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> okay. Yeah, not just because he's paying you to do that, because that's what the person who's bringing people forward do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So okay. the emotional piece, you know, it gets labeled touchy-feely, but there is nothing touchy-feely about meeting with someone whose credit's just been called. <laughs> no. And we both have enough of a finance background to know this is the worst day of your life when when you get that phone call. And whether he is, now this person isn't a screamer or a yeller or a lot of profanity, but many of us go to our our worst moment. And as the leader or the colleague, I need to be able to navigate whatever that does for me and not let it derail me. And, and he, as any of us, again, who have dealt with complex business issues, I need to stay, un, uh, avoid derailing to, to the, the greatest extent so that I'm able to solve my problems and not undermine myself. Yes, Okay. All right, agreed. Let's uh, let's move on. I'd like you to talk about developmental levels mm-hmm. um, and uh, and talk about how they one thought better than the other because I think that's important. Yeah, um, and yeah. talk about how many people sort of in a professional environment, how many people populate inhabit these different levels. Because the, the mix is really quite interesting. The distribution. Thank you for for asking that. There are some ethics around using this con- construct. The idea that we move through levels, to me, it's really important to note that all levels are important and required for an enterprise to operate. So one level is not better than another, but certainly each level has a sweet spot in where they work, right? Well, so all, they all provide value effectively when used appropriately, Yeah. Yeah, and so most of us, especially in in a society that is rather competitive, think that more is better, and yet it's really about fit for role. So, so what we see in traditional business is the level called diplomat, and and the names are evolving. So forgive me for using the the ones with which I'm most familiar. About eight percent of business leaders, and this is a fairly concrete. Uh, black and white, uh, more rule-following level. The next is expert. This is, I, I'm now, take great pride in being exceptional at my craft. So, so more craft than uh, frameworks. This and the is percentage? 48%. How many people sort of live in this space? 48%. It's 48? Still, still pretty rule-following. Um, So I am worried at this level or interested in being the best at my my work. The next level, Achiever, 35%, and this is where I am focused on I get stuff done. I get stuff done at any cost. So this is what in the U.S. uh, most business executives fall into this category. It's about five-year time horizon. I am, I've moved beyond black and white. I can see shades of gray. I haven't yet become terribly emotionally aware. I'm really focusing on getting stuff done. 
And for those of us who are <laughs> busy getting stuff done, <laughs> busy, that's what my and most of our business environments are really that's what drives them, right? We've that's got a limited, that. absolutely, yeah. And I've got to meet customer expectations. I've got to deliver, and we do that by just head down, press forward, get it done. And, and I. When you say business executives, are you talking about sort of middle to senior management or are you talking about talk about public company executives or large-scale executives? So I, I want to make sure I'm precise in my language and I'm, I'm not always okay. uh, doing that, so thank you. I think what, what we know in the research community or what we believe is that many large public corporations are run by people at that level. Now, the good news is about 6% of leaders or thereabouts, depending on which data you use, uh, maybe as much as 12%, are at these later levels. So certainly our hope is there are many large, complex organizations run by leaders who are at the higher levels of maturity. And yet you and I have both worked with executives who are squarely in the team. (laughs) Decidedly not. A lot of them. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Keep. Uh, all right. So we have the achiever. What What comes after that? Individualist. And this is where emotional intelligence really comes online. So that idea that I am understanding the perspective of the people with whom I'm working, and that becomes a priority along with delivering results. So I become more introspective. And when I do that after being an achiever, when I start to pay attention to emotions, it's like any new skill that I'm building. It's something I'm not yet familiar with, right? So these emotions, I start to be aware of them, and they're kind of messy, and I really wish they'd go away. (laughs) Aren't there a lot of days you just wish that you could shut that door and, like, open it next year? Indeed. Never. (laughs) Never. And yet we know that it matters, and we know that it makes us more effective. So it's something that at the individualist level, because there are fewer people, there are fewer people there, I believe, in part, because it's so messy, because it's so difficult to transition into a place where I have to look at my insides. Now, it's the place where I start to unwind all of that I, I have worked this hard for this long, and there's still something maybe missing. And I start to have a yearning yeah, for what else. I thought I made it, and now that I've arrived, it's like, what else is there? Was what it? else is there? And how can I contribute to the world in a way that is personally more meaningful? So it really is this level of... So if we think of Maslow... I've made it to almost the top, and now I'm asking those self-actualizing questions, and those are complicated. And so it's that at this individualist level where I start to really explore and try to figure out what's missing. And it's also really the question where I start to, at the time at which I start to ask, what do I stand for? And so the, the... People who are at this level will resonate with this just kind of a, I thought I had figured all this stuff out earlier in life, and I'm not supposed to have these questions now, and yet I can't make them go away. So it's a... They're not going away. I'm trying. 
How many, what percentage here for this for an individualist? Actually, you've got the book in front of you, and I'm looking at a different presentation. So we're looking 10. at different data sets. I think <laughs> in the book we say 10%. Yeah, 10%. And that, okay. that so, comes from the Torbert work published in HBR. So The Harvard Business Review, yeah. Yes, thank you. So okay. between 5 and 10% are at that level. Okay. And so what, what, what's happening here um, is that, first off, there's a small subset of people in the professional world, uh, regardless of where, what role they hold, who are actively starting to understand that they're part of a bigger system, yes, that they don't get to, um, they don't get to pick things on their own, right? And, and this is, uh, isn't this also the point at which people start to understand, given the, the emotional intelligence and the understanding of other perspectives, isn't this where people start to understand that perception really does equal reality? Uh, brilliant point. Yeah, at the earlier levels, especially the, like the expert, I see something and I assume everybody else sees the same thing. And at this individualist level, everything goes to gray. So the black and white, the, the this is right and that's wrong, I start to recognize that in different situations, what I thought was right and wrong isn't quite as clear as it was, and that different people even, perceive reality, and they perceive me differently. So I can give the a duality of things, yeah? They yeah. Two things at the same time. Okay. Um, now, we're coming up, uh, we're going to come up on a break soon, so I think um, I'm going to hold the next two for after we come back, because I think the, the next one is really the interesting one, given that it's the most powerful, I think, in business. Um, tell me one thing in the minute that we have left. Of the levels that we've talked about so far, if you're talking about uh, being in a sort of a middle to senior management or talking about leading an organization, where would you, you personally, Maureen, in your experience, prefer to see someone sort of occupying? What space would they be in? Achiever or individualist? Individualist is able, because they're moving beyond social convention, they're able to be much more innovative. So, so they're willing to push limits and be creative. So it depends on what the environment requires. The achiever is just heads down, get stuff done. So some combination of those, also depending on the enterprise, having people in the organization who are more innovative isn't always welcome within the conventional organization. So they need to be positioned properly. Otherwise, they can be disruptive. So it the organization oh, needs to understand how to use this very limited and precious resource so that it, it is creating value, not disrupting. Because okay. like any resource, it, it can be either. And the last thing I think I want to touch on before we go to break here is that uh, the concept of transcend and include. Brilliant. So each level is a development from the prior level. We don't lose. So I don't lose my ability to bring deep expertise. And yet at times what's required may be much more complex thinking. And other times I need to meet people where they are and I need to respond to the situation in which I'm placed. And that level of complexity may not be required. And in fact, it may be inappropriate in some settings. So this is a, a modulating scale and part of the 
part of my requirement as a later stage leader is to know what's required in any situation and step into it with the right set of skills and the right level of complexity. Okay. On that note, I think we're going to go to break, and then I want to come back and talk about sort of the last two. Cool. Thank you. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Metcalf & Associates is a management consulting and leadership development firm dedicated to helping leaders, their management teams, and their organizations implement innovative leadership and business practices to help create market differentiation necessary to thrive in this rapidly changing environment. As the author of eight award-winning leadership books, Maureen Metcalf and her associates are positioned to help you and your organization grow and thrive. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. Maureen is ready to discuss your needs and tailor a solution to meet your needs through her expertise in keynote speaking, leadership coaching and training, transformational and organizational growth consulting. For your business, we can help with facilitated leadership retreats, organizational planning, culture alignment, individual and organizational assessments, online leadership development programs, and one-on-one or corporate-wide leadership development sessions. Move forward with Metcalf & Associates. Visit Metcalf-Associates.com. You have a message. You want to share that message. You want it to be social, to go viral, and spread across the planet. But how do you get started? Tune in to Amplify, featuring host Ken Roshan and co-host Gisela Gonzalez. This show is here to help you take that message and channel it through the most effective marketing techniques to not only be successful, but have a positive impact on the world. Tune in live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel, and get Amplified. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Listening to Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations. To reach Maureen Metcalf or her guest today, please call in to 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. Or send an email to info at Metcalf Associates.com. Now, back to this week's program. So this is Maureen Metcalf with Carla Morelli. And we're talking about innovative leadership and really building on some of the prior interviews with one with Bina Sharma talking about developmental perspectives and leadership maturity based on the work of Suzanne Cook-Greider. So, Carla, what do you want to hear next? Yeah, well, uh, so the last two are really kind of the, the fascinating ones for me, right? Uh, we have two levels left, strategist and magician. Talk about the strategist and talk about why that one is important. And also why it's not the end-all, be-all. Okay, cool. So for people who have read Good to Great and uh, know Jim Collins' work, we, or I believe, I think we believe as, as a community that the strategist level of development is 
equated to level five leadership. And so some of the research suggests that this is really the level of development required to implement successive complex organizational transformation changes. So if I want to, it's not required to make small changes, right, not to translate where I am to something slightly different. But if I really want to make a big leap, and given, the again, the level of change external to companies that will now mandate that I internally change, we believe that this is the level that is most effective. And one thing that's important to note, my CEO doesn't need to be this, and in many cases won't be. But someone on the cabinet level or a consultant does need to be. And Torbert's research pointed to the idea that often it's the external consultant, so you can rent a level five leader, basically. External consultants can drive the same kind of change as long as they are integrated into the transformation process. So we look at someone potentially like a Colin Powell and a George Bush. Colin Powell likely tests at this level. And so having that level of thinking in the midst of the transformation project really increases the probability of success. Okay. So two things. Sorry. One is describe what the strategist is like. And uh, the second one is talk about, you're talking about transformations. Are you saying that the regular running of the business doesn't require that kind of person? So first describe that person and then talk about when they're most relevant. Actually, I don't think that regular running of the business requires it. It's a nice okay. to have, but not, not necessary or not critical. Okay. Yep. So, so almost like, and I... Um, I want to say I go off script a little bit, but I can build a Frank Lloyd Wright house if I buy the Frank Lloyd Wright plans. So there are some things that if the strategist has built it, then someone who is not a strategist can run it. It's really doing the transformation that, in my mind, is is the place where the strategist brings the biggest value. So they can perceive systematic patterns and long-term trends. So this idea that at, like, the expert level, I'm thinking about three months out. At the achiever, I'm thinking five years out. The strategist is thinking 15 to 20 years out. So they're really looking at trends quite differently, and they're going to identify patterns that I won't see in the shorter term. Okay. One of the next things is no matter what I'm told, as a strategist, I'm going to make my own sense of it. I'm going to do my own evaluation. So, so they really are, they'll use whatever they're told as data, and they, they synthesize it themselves. So, again, if I'm a longer-term thinker, my internal algorithm is just a little more complex than someone who's an achiever. And so I am continually running everything I see through that more complex algorithm. The next is I'm pretty militantly focused on development, myself and others. Right? Like we don't get to these levels accidentally. We've extended a, a significant or invested a significant amount of effort to move from where we were to where we are. So at the individualist level, I'm asking all of these questions, who am I and what do I stand for? At the strategist level, I figured out what I stand for and... I, I almost can't stop doing it. It's, it's I have a purpose, 
feel almost like the words of a calling. And it's really, why wouldn't I be doing that? That's what I'm here for. And so I have to ask, is it that it's less messy, or have you just gotten comfortable with the messiness? I think it's actually more messy. It's more messy. There are things that used to bother me that don't anymore. Uh, less messy, okay. Well, less messy, and some of the stuff that didn't bother me now, some of the stuff that used to bother me doesn't, or doesn't in the same way. But because I'm now thinking longer term and bigger lens, now there's more stuff that I care about. So ah, things are okay. put in perspective effectively, right? Yeah. So now I'm worried about the, the global economic situation before I wasn't. So if I now part of my algorithm is what's happening to the Chinese economy and how, it, how will that filter in to impact a client I have here in the U.S. Or, and we're talking about selling my mother's house. How does what's happening in the global economic landscape impact interest rates, and how does that volatility impact us for the next three months? So my algorithm just got more complex, and now I have a different set of concerns, not more or less important, but more complex. Yeah, I was going to say, it sounds like, I mean, anybody who makes their living in finance is interested in those things. So one could say, well, that's just sort of so duly stipulated if I'm a finance guy. Um, but it sounds like what you're saying is that my landscape got broader, my time horizon got longer, and I'm realizing that there are complexities. There are a lot, of, a lot more things are intertwined than I used to see before. Yes, perfect. And I'm perfect. able to both identify those things and figure out how they apply. And so that algorithm is constantly running in the background. Yes. And all I want to do is go watch a Marvel movie, right? I want to, I want to see what the Avengers are doing, and yet I'm worrying about some global economic trend. I think so it's like Star Wars then. <laughs> it's interesting. How do you turn it off, right? Because once you step into that, you know, I've upgraded my, just like I upgrade my smartphone, and now it gives me all these alerts. How do I turn off that complicated algorithm and stay present with um, a client having a difficult day. Do you need to do that? Can't you do both at the same time? You have to master doing both at the same time. Oh, yeah, but you can, in theory. Oh, absolutely. It's just that now there are multiple conversations in my head. So I'm sitting with someone who's upset. There are always multiple conversations in my head. (laughs) got worse at each successful level. Now I'm wondering, as I'm sitting with this gentleman who's having the, whose company is having the credit issue, what, which one of me, what persona would be most helpful at the moment? Is it sitting with him and uh, just empathizing, or is it jumping into problem solving, and at what pace? So, so now that, that action reflection cycle is shorter, and I'm really paying attention to almost micro signals and responses, and that's in the algorithm. So, so my behavior is in the algorithm, his behavior is in the algorithm, all of this big societal stuff. And so it, it, it again, is almost like going from a very small, uh, not powerful computer to now putting a very, very powerful computer in my head. And how do I navigate that? So another characteristic is that tenacity and humility. Once I'm running all of those equations, 
and once I realize how complicated life is, mine and theirs, I'm, I am more inclined you feel to... feel like they're a lot less important, <laughs> right? I mean... Yeah, I do have to figure out what's important and, and stay militantly focused on those things that will allow me to deliver on my purpose. Okay. Um, I want to mind the time a little bit here because we've got about five minutes left. Um, the one thing I wanted to point out is that sort of that individualist and into strategist, you start recognizing that things are constructs created by people that mm. can change at any time, yeah? Especially strategist and the next level magician. <laughs> so what happens when I start to recognize constructs is my ability to then move them around. So things I thought were true and accurate and solid, almost like a state line. If I live on a state line and you live on the other side of the street in a different state, a state seems like a kind of a made-up thing. It's important, but it's a, it's a made-up thing. In business, there are lots of constructs that are also made up, and as soon as I start to recognize that they're... I have a, a much greater capacity to change them. So let's move now to the, what do I do about this? If this is interesting, and ethically, all levels are required for an organization to succeed. We don't want a company full of strategists. It's, it's just not, not any more effective, less. <laughs> so a couple of things to do. We have an article on the website on on the Metcalf and Associates site under publications, free publications, and it's the story of Jill and how Jill goes through the developmental levels. And it, I think, is the... I wrote it, so it, it's certainly something I think is helpful. Um, co-authored with uh, Dina Pollock. It gives a... Through the use of story, helps illustrate how someone moves through these levels. And then we have a lot of tools on the website. Uh, there's an interview with Bina Sharma on the Voice America site. There are workbooks that are intended to be really inexpensive, a series of exercises, and they range from $20 to 35 So if you're interested in this, pick up a book, uh, pick up a workbook, and start the exercises. If you're interested in testing for developmental perspective or, or leadership maturity, we uh, work with Suzanne's organization uh, for to, to offer those assessments and to get feedback, or we can just refer you to Suzanne and Bina directly. Um, now, I want to come back to one thing. Well, aside from the fact that this is your line of work, i.e., I have I personally watched you work with leaders of quite large companies as well as smaller ones, and um, truly brilliant. So there's my plug for you for today. Uh, the one thing that I want to come back to I think that's important is that regardless of where someone sort of tests in the scheme of things, that uh, one, this concept of transcend and include means that you never lose the prior, the ability to pull from your prior skills, the skills that you just evolved through. It's always there and is sometimes more appropriate than the level in which you inhabit today. Um, and, and that there's a, the idea of a bell curve. You've got a little bit of either end and you're constantly pushing the bell curve forward assuming that you are um, focused on this and paying attention to this. Yeah. And, and that the world, the world, not just a company, uh, the PTA, the soccer team, the company that you work for, need one of every flavor 
or this will not, it does not work, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'd like to close on that point that I need to meet people where they are, not where I am. It, it is disrespectful to expect people to be where, who I am. And the greatest level of respect is to join them in the place they inhabit. So, Carla, thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you for joining our show. I hope you found the conversation helpful. Carla, while we didn't get to hear much of her perspective, is absolutely a brilliant practitioner of mergers and acquisitions and also uh, a consultant who brings a great deal of value in a lot of different areas. So I hope that as listeners you heard something that might pique your interest, that you might even try in your life going forward. So please reach out to us if you have questions, info at metcalf-associates.com. Send me an email. Send Carla an email. Our website, www.metcalf-associates.com, has a lot of blog posts. There's a free assessment and a great deal of information to help you explore this topic further and begin your journey at wherever place you are currently interested. So again, thank you. Innovative leaders, driving, thriving organizations. This has been Maureen Metcalf and Carla Morelli, and we are delighted that we are able to speak with you today. Thank you again for joining us this week. Please tune in for another edition of Innovative Leaders Driving Thriving Organizations with Maureen Metcalf next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We hope to see you here next week.